Three, two, one. Ready. You're listening to the Real Pineapple Podcast Network. <clears throat> Good evening, ladies, gentlemen, days, and gays. This is the Real Pineapple. This is your humble host, Hunter, here. Hope you're having a great night, weekend, whenever you're checking this out. So it took a little longer than I wanted to this year, but typically does release late January, early February. So I finally have my best of for 2022. I, oh my God, I'm so excited to talk about this. So if you follow me on Letterboxd, I want to say I watched about 100 films. Actually, I know it was more than 100 films because I am behind on ranking on my Letterboxd, but I watched a ton of stuff this year per usual. I'm really excited. I'm really excited because I love doing this podcast and I love being able to talk about what I enjoyed this year and in hearing how it compares with what y'all like this year. So before I go ahead and get into my top 10 list proper, I do have a couple of films I want to go ahead and throw out as honorable mentions that I'll be real. And I feel like I say this every year. It feels like until maybe June, maybe in July, August, I'd even say, that the year almost feels slow, and you're kind of sitting there going, what are the Oscar contenders? Not ju- not just the Oscar contenders, but where are those movies that are really going to wow me as the uh, as the year goes on? And there was actually quite a bit of stuff that I enjoyed at the earlier part of 2022 that I just couldn't find a spot for uh, once I went ahead and sat down and did the list. And trust me, this is, I, I probably did the list uh, probably 30 times. Like, I just kept tweaking and adjusting and tweaking and adjusting. And yeah, it sucks that not everything I love can make the list, but to them's other breaks. So a couple honorable mentions. So the first honorable mention I'm going to throw out is Jeff Fowler's Sonic the Hedgehog 2. I have made no qualms about the fact I am a huge Sonic the Hedgehog fan. I'm a huge nerd for Sonic. I love the lore. I've read quite a few of the comics. I've, of course, played the games. I just think Sonic fucking rules. I have no, watch, not watched a new Netflix show, and that's probably going to be something I do <laughs> here in the next week or so. But I absolutely adore this movie. Everything from Eggman becoming more of an asshole to Idris Elba's uh, Knuckles joining the fray to us having Tails go ahead and get fleshed out and join uh, the, the franchise. I just adore so much of how this movie actually cares about the canon and cares about the property that it's invested in and that it's taking part in. I I, I just love the way that this movie knows exactly what it is and doesn't hide from it. If this, and if it really is the last performance of Jim Carrey's career, what an awesome role to go out on. He was clearly having a blast. As I mentioned, his Eggman is more uh, sinister I love what a petty asshole Eggman is. I mean, Eggman's always a petty asshole, but the way that he just hates <laughs> Sonic's family just makes me truly happy. And seeing Super Sonic be a thing was just something I went, I never thought I would get this in live action. And it looks wonderful and it just warms my fucking heart. And that's before we get to the end credit, which I won't spoil just in case you haven't seen it. Absolutely wonderful. Loved it so, so much. My partner and I saw it a couple days early at a fan event and we were, we were just blown away. So absolutely adore it, but I could not find a spot for it in my top 10. Uh, Northman. Fucking love the Northman. I haven't posted my review, I believe, of the Northman yet, but it should be up on the, on the channel soon. Another great film by Robert Eggers, who just fucking knows how to direct shit. I cannot wait for his uh, Nosferatu. I cannot wait to see what that looks like. And if you have not seen The Lighthouse, please watch The Lighthouse. I believe it's still on Prime Video. But one of the coolest final fights I've seen in a movie, at least in the last five years, Anya Taylor-Joy, of course, is Anya Taylor-Joy. She, she's a goddess. She's perfection. She's one of the best actresses in the game, and she delivers an incredible performance. Alexander Skarsgård, first off, props for the shape you got in. Holy crap. But the true Viking anger and fury that he's able to portray in his performance is fucking inspired. Nicole Kidman 
it might go down as one of the best performances of her career. She's amazing in the movie. And then just the little bit of Ethan Hawke that we do get. Ethan Hawke is always great, but it it was just a movie that it, it oh my god, it's so so fucking cool. And Wilm Dafoe, <laughs> he's he's great as as well. I, I just I adore this movie. From cinematography perspective alone, this is something I would teach in a film class. But as far as a epic to keep you engaged and make you go, yeah, this is something I'll be revisiting. Hell yeah, all hail the Northmen. Couldn't find a spot for it, but it's on Peacock, I believe, streaming right now. So if you've not seen it, you need to take the time and go see it. it it's an absolutely awesome movie. And then I'll throw out a couple more here. Uh, Tar, Kate Blanchett. I love a good rise and fall story and what Tar has to say about the Me Too movement, what it has to say about the structure of art and how art institutions work, I think is incredibly fascinating and poignant. I think it's a message that does need to be relayed as far as how these structures do need to be torn down to be rebuilt. And Kate Blanchett, the way that she plays Tar, the marketing on this movie was such a risk because, because when you see just a one, a movie that's just a, you know, a name, it's so often tied with a biopic. And the fact that Tar is not an actual person, but the movie does a, such a great job at points where you go, wow, is this a real person? I had to keep reminding myself, I know Kate Blanchett's not playing this based off a real person, but holy crap, does the movie do an incredible job of making you feel like that. The way that Tar descends into madness as the walls close in, close in on her from her own self-inflicted uh, wounds that she's carried throughout her career. There's this incredible monologue about Bach and how how do you separate the art from the artist as far as how you compose and who you're inspired by. And it's incredibly well done scene. And all the times that Blanchett is conducting, you just feel the presence that Kate Blanchett is. And I really do think Kate Blanchett is so great. So often we do sleep on her. I'm really happy she got the uh, a Best Actress nomination because she fucking deserves it for this movie. It's one of my favorite performances of the year. And this would be like my number 12. Like it's right. Eh, maybe my number 13. It's so close. It's such a great flick. But I, I just couldn't find a spot for it. And then I'll throw out uh, two more quick films and then we'll get to the list proper. Uh, Emily the Criminal. I, I mean, I've talked about my woman crush on, on Aubrey Plaza. She's a fucking goddess. I have not watched White Lotus yet. I know everyone tells me she's great in that. Shut up. I'll get to it. This is a career defining performance for Aubrey, uh, for Aubrey Plaza because it, it's one of those things that it's a role that you don't expect her to do, which I think is part of it. And I love the fact that she came out recently and said, I'm an actress. Let me fucking act. And I agree. Let her do whatever the fuck she wants. I think Plaza has. Sorry, let me rewind. I know Plaza has more range than, you know, just being April Ludgate. If you watch something like Legion, you know the layers of an actress that she's able to portray. She's a great comedian, but she can definitely do drama, too. I think there's a lot more drama in Parks and Rec than people remember. And the aforementioned Legion and uh, Legion. And that's before I even get to Ingrid Goes West, which if you've been listening to the show for years... You know, that's one of my favorite movies in the last decade. I fucking love Ingrid Goes West. And her playing Emily here, seeing her descent into really not even the madness, but the reason she's doing everything she's doing, you feel that. It's a very real world relatable thing. The fact that the movie's a lean 90 minutes and gives you this gritty, intense drama and the way that Plaza carries her role, I, I just adored her in this movie and i mean i don't think you need a sequel to it but they could do one if they wanted honestly but i just i adore this movie and there's a scene involving a taser that scene in particular is just one of my favorite white knuckle moments all year and i was just i was oh my god i love the movie it's on netflix right now please watch it if you have not watched it It it's well worth your time and then the last movie i will throw out here is i love my dad which stars uh, Pat Oswalt and uh, James uh, Morosini, who also wrote and directed it, and I believe is a producer on it. So you've probably heard of the movie by now, but basically Pat Oswalt plays this dad who is this, he's aloof and he's a shitty parent. He only wants to be around his son, what's convenient for him. 
And basically his son, rightfully so, decides to cut him off and not give him the time of day and try to move on with his life. And so Patton Oswalt's dad goes ahead and creates this face, this fake, fake Facebook profile. There we go. Based on someone that he actually met at a diner, his waitress, and goes ahead and starts talking to his son. It's, it's, it's very similar to one of those French comedies where you just, you're in such a bad situation. It's kind of like Shiva Baby. Uh, or, uh, yeah, it's kind of like that where you, you, you feel the walls are closing in because of the situation that the main characters put themselves in. And you know it can only end one way. And just to watch the awkward situations that this catfishing <laughs> has done is insane. It is a movie that I know will be too cringe for a lot of people. I know a lot of people just will not want to even think about the fact this movie exists. It's on Hulu. You can stream it. It's 90 minutes. Uh, Lil, uh, Lil Rel shows up too, and he has a great role. But, oh my God, the movie is so beautifully cringe. And if you can handle it, watch it. It's so fucking good. Yeah, those are those are some honorable mentions. So, all right, let me... Let me pop a beer here. I'm not going to tell you which one because we're not paying me yet, but <laughs> let's get into the list proper. So cheers, everybody. All right. So my number 10, I'm being a cheat. I have a tie. It was hard enough to make my list only 10, <laughs> 10 films. So I was sitting there. I'm like, you know what? 11 films tie at 10. I know I use that cheat more often than not, but I don't care. Movie's great. So I'm going to go ahead and keep it. So my number... 10, my tie for number 10, is uh, first one's going to be The Fablemans, which of course is directed by Steven Spielberg. This movie, this is the most I've liked a Spielberg film in a while. Like, like I think about something like The Post, it's probably the movie I've liked of his the most since The Post, but even thinking back to The Post, I, I wasn't in love with that movie. I, I really enjoyed it. It didn't make my top 10 that year. So I would probably say this is my favorite Spielberg film. God damn, I don't, I mean, maybe since Tintin. Like, it might have been that long. I, I just, I love this movie. I, you know what? I would say since Bridge, Bridge of Spies. So it's been seven years. Um, then before that, it would be Tintin. So it's been a little while since I've really loved a Spielberg film and the, the honesty in which he, goes ahead and writes about himself because it's just semi semi biographical and the way that he turns the lens on himself the way that you feel um i'm blanking on the son's name oh my god i suck the way that the son goes ahead and has this incredible love of film you just feel inspired that that's the best word i can use uh to describe this uh sammy there we go who's played by the amazing uh, Gabriel LaBelle. He crushed this role. But I love this movie. I love the way that I felt like when I wa- used to watch Spielberg for the first time, when I was first getting into film. Like the first time I saw E.T., I remember just thinking, this person has an incredible imagination for film. That that was one of my first thoughts as a kid, just w- the first time I watched that. And having that same feeling as an adult, it's something I was really happy to see with Spielberg. Because... While I enjoyed West Side Story, a- a- Angel Elsword, you know, Baby Driver, he he was so bad in it. He was so bad in it, and he's in the film so much that much that I was distracted, and I just really couldn't enjoy it in the way that a lot of people I know did. This movie is incredible acting across the board. Whether it's Michelle Williams, whether it's Paul Dano, who I think was fucking screwed out of a Best Actor nomination, um, whether it's Judd Hirsch, whether it's Seth Rogen. Um, just, just everyone in this movie, as the kids say, understood the assignment and absolutely crushed the roles. I just, I love this movie and it's something I've already pre-ordered, uh, for, uh, the 4k cause I really want a physical copy of it. I just, I, I love this movie. And there's this one scene in particular in a high school hallway and, and I'll leave, I'll leave it at that cause I really don't want to spoil too much, but that scene in particular is something that I just sat back and went, this is cinema. This is how you're supposed to have people feel when they're watching a film. You're supposed to feel disengaged and inspired and invested in the characters that you're seeing. And there's this incredible scene that Judd Hirsch has about about art and how you get addicted to your art. And I just, 
I, I love what this movie says. I love the depressing turns that the movie takes. And I love how unapologetically Spielberg it is in this case. While I think that was kind of a problem with something like Lincoln, in here it's a true, uh, it enhances the film, quite, quite frankly. So I, I, I adore The Fablemans. If you've not watched it, please, please, please watch The Fablemans. It is well worth your time. So that's uh, tied for my number 10. All right, the other film tied for my, t- uh, my number 10 is going to be Pearl, an extraordinary origin story, which of course stars the amazing Mia Goth, who... My God, that woman is so fine, but she fucking terrifies me. You know her uh, uh, from A Cure for Wellness and then playing Maxine in X. Pearl, of course, in X. And seeing the origin story of Pearl here, I I I won't get too much in spoilers, but to see the range Mia Goth has is just inspired. Whether it's her committing this insane murder at a point in the film that I won't spoil... Or it's her getting attached to this guy that she in no way should be attached to. Seeing Pearl just break down and have these true aspirations of being not a nobody. She needs to be known by the world. To see how her mental breakdown occurs when she can't become what she believes she should be. It's such a fascinating character study. And the score is epic. T.I. West does an incredible job here uh, with the direction. Some great scenes of tension. Seeing the alligator for the first time, Peter Pan style. They do, there's great payoff with that. I just, I, I love this movie so much. And I've talked about the fact I'm not a big horror guy. I don't like being scared. But stuff like this, when horror hits like this and like the black phone, you get excited about the genre when you see directors and creators that are so inspired to make shit like this. And the fact we get the third in the trilogy in Maxine this year, I'm excited to see what Maxine's about. So let's, let's fucking go. But absolutely adore this movie. The end credits. Oh my God. So in the most, to say that will not be seared into my brain for years. I would be lying to you if I told you that I haven't thought about how the movie ends and just my brain is melted. It's, oh my God, Pearl kicks so much ass and I, I, I don't own it yet and I should buy it. I, I, I got my buy it after this, after this recording, but Pearl's absolutely amazing. So that's the other film tied for my number 10. All right. Moving on to my number nine. My number nine film is a film that I am so happy, uh, was put on my radar. It's a movie that everyone needs to watch. It is on HBO Max. It stars the incredible Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson. It's the Banshees of Inisherin. And to think about a movie like this being such a dark comedy, and that's exactly what it is. It's it's a dark comedy slash dramedy. But the way that Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson play off each other, there's a reason they're both nominated for Oscars and both well fucking deserved, by the way. Colin Farrell, man. I, Colin Farrell, I know people make jokes about Colin Farrell, you know, being a big old partier and all that shit. But something about Colin Farrell that I think we really forget is how great of a fucking actor he is. I mean, when, just off the top of my head, you think about, like, The Lobster. He's great in SWAT, even. SWAT is actually really good. I think people sleep on SWAT a bit. You know, even like him and the gentleman, he's really the only good thing about fucking Dumbo, which is kind of nuts as well. But, you know, Widows, Roman J. Israel Esquire, uh, the, the, the Beguiled, um, oh my god, True Detective. The, the motherfucker is talented. And I haven't even mentioned After Yang, which came out this, uh, that came, which came out this year, this past year. And he was great in that as well. But, Seeing him and Brendan Gleeson's relationship just break down in the way it does, in the extremes that Gleeson goes to. It's such an intense movie, but I was laughing the whole time. I was so, so happy. And I just, I love how the whole cast, including someone in uh, Carrie, uh, Carrie Condon, who I, I think is amazing in the movie. She damn near steals the movie at points. I just, I loved, loved her in this movie and the way that her arc wraps up is something that I really did love and as I mentioned the extremes but this movie just ends on a note that I went fuck okay the thing is the movie always keeps you guessing and that's something that I 
that I really, really enjoyed about the movie. It's is it dark? Fuck yeah, it's dark. If you don't like things that are unpleasant, this will probably not be a movie for you. Whether it's the score, whether it's the cinematography, because oh my god, the cinematography is just beautiful in this movie. I just, I adore this. And I was so happy that people recognized this and went ahead and gave it multiple Oscar nominations because it deserves it. I didn't even mention yet, but Martin uh, Martin McDowell is the one who went ahead and wrote and directed this. You know him from uh, In Burgess, which also has Colin Farrell in it, which is also really great. Uh, Seven Psychopaths, which I actually liked. Not great, but I liked it. But he also wrote three billboards outside uh, Ebbing, Missouri, which if you've listened to the podcast, you know how much I love that fucking movie. Anyone had wrote uh, wrote and directed this. So, yeah, he's kind of on a roll. If Colin Farrell wins for Best Actor while Brendan Fraser is my pick for The Whale, I wouldn't be mad. I'd be really happy for Colin Farrell because he deserves the recognition. And honestly, he kind of deserves to win more than anyone that's currently nominated for Best Actor. So, absolutely adore this movie. Please watch it if you haven't yet. I, as I mentioned, it is on HBO Max, but it's well worth your time. Please watch it. Banshees and Sharon, my number nine. All right, moving on to number eight. It's a movie that I think most of you are pretty aware of. It stars one of my favorite actresses working right now and has the emergence of another actress who I'm so happy she's getting her due. My number eight is going to be Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. I did go back and rewatch this before I did my list because admittedly, I've been watching a good amount of stuff, so I want to make sure I didn't have my my recency bias. And there are just some things that I did enjoy more, but this is easily one of the top 10 best films of the year. If this is your number one, I am not mad at you. Michelle Yeoh is really starting to finally get her credit, and she should win. Let me say that again. She should win Best Actress, but she's absolutely incredible in this incredibly insane multiversal mindfuck of a movie i i haven't watched this high yet but i look forward to watching this high because this movie is such a such a mindfuck i i'm so happy for michelle yo that she as i mentioned that she's getting her props but we have to talk about ki hui kwan who of course you know short round from temple of doom i'm so happy for him especially this long incredible journey that he's had to get back into Hollywood. And I'm so happy that the Daniels took a chance on him because him playing uh, Waymond, he just, he nails the role. And the and the chemistry that him and Michelle Yeoh have really is just inspired, heartbreaking, tragic, beautiful. It literally transcends time. I love the way that their relationship evolves and devolves. And I, I, I just, I, I adore their partnership and how honest the film is about relationships as the film goes on. Uh, Jamie Lee Curtis, of course, we, we talk about Jamie Lee Curtis quite a bit. I just, I adore her and I'm so happy that she got a best supporting actress nomination along with arguably the standout of the movie in Stephanie, in Stephanie Sue, who plays, uh, Joy, the daughter. And I love what the movie ends up being about. I love the core message of the film between Joy and Evelyn and the way that Stephanie plays Joy in this, the anger, the very justifiable anger she has given her situation and how Joy ends up, pardon me, how Joy ends up tying to the larger arc of what the film is about. I think it's just perfectly done. And it's a movie that really gave me a lot to think about when I left the theater. I was really happy to go back and rewatch it here about a week ago. There's there's not a wasted frame in the movie. There's not a wasted fight. The score is amazing. I mean, the cinematography, Jesus Christ, the visual effects. That is a movie that just works like a fine watch. Everything is on time. Everything is in rhythm. And by the time I got out of the theater and when I gotten finished watching it here at home, it really didn't feel like two hours had passed. It just zooms by. And I just, I just love the movie. I, I truly love the movie. And I'm so happy that Hollywood took a chance on something like this because it means that we'll potentially get more things like this. And 
Yeah, I'm so happy for Michelle Yeoh because, as I mentioned, I think this will go ahead and lead to her first Oscar win, which, if it does, damn well deserved. So, that is my number eight in Everything Everywhere All at Once. All right, my number seven is a movie that I was terrified to see, a movie that I went, oh, please, for the love of God, don't have them fuck this up. A movie that I was sad about going into the theater. I, I'm really happy I had my partner and our friend Jesse with us. Shout out to Jesse. I love you. It's still hard to think about this movie. I just uploaded my review of it for Black History, uh, for our Black uh, Cinema Showcase. So that is on the channel now. If you have not listened to it, check it out. My number seven film is Black Panther Wakanda Forever, which is written and directed, of course, by Ryan Coogler, as well as Joe Robert Cole. God bless Ryan Coogler because he had some incredible curveballs thrown at him, which, you know, included Lupita, uh, uh, not Lupita, pardon me, uh, Letitia Wright's anti-mask, anti-vaccine bullshit to losing not just a friend, but, a, you know, a, a brother in Shadow Book Bozeman to having the film pushed back because of Letitia Wright's injuries. Just oh, it was starting to feel damn near cursed. And I just went, I don't know how Cooper's going to get a good movie out of this. And not only did he get a good movie, he got an excellent movie out, given the circumstances. And a film that is, for me, as good as the first Black Panther, I don't know if it's better. I don't know if I'll ever be able to say this is better than the first Black Panther, because Shadwick's not in it. But what this movie allowed its audience to do is it allowed us to celebrate Shadwick Boseman. It allowed us to celebrate T'Challa. It allowed us to mourn, it allowed us to cry, and it allowed us to celebrate in the way that I knew Letitia Wright was going to be in the new Black Panther. I, I, I knew it. I knew it had to be Shuri. It makes sense. But Marvel giving themselves kind of a brilliant out in the mid credit scene that I went, son of a bitch, that's fucking clever. And it means that the legacy of T'Challa will continue. And I just... I'm so happy. I'm so happy that the film was not a failure. I'm so happy that it, for the most part, was uh, critically uh, critically acclaimed. I don't know how Cooler pulled this off. I cannot stress that enough. Um, Mbaku, Winston Duke, uh, I love Winston Duke so goddamn much. And he is great in a more confidant role as, uh, as Mbaku. Of course, Queen Angela, Queen Angela Bassett. As a uh, Ramonda getting some incredible scenes in this movie, including this one that almost opens up the film with the United Nations. That it that alone is Oscar worthy, and that's before we get to the scene of her that you see teased in the trailer of her talking about how her entire family is gone. She just she crushes this movie, and everyone had their working shoes on. Whether it's Florence uh, Kasumba's uh, uh, Io, who looks like she's going to be the new yeah, uh, where where her art goes, I don't know who how many people have seen that. So I'll just I'll I'll try to dance away <laughs> here from spoilers. But whether it's uh, Io, whether it's uh, Dominique Thorns, Riri Williams, who is in the movie just enough to make a presence, uh, have her presence felt, but not enough to overshadow it. I'm really excited for Ironheart. I'm really excited to see where her connections continue to go. Uh, uh, Tunok Her uh, Hereta as a Namor. Holy shit, you want to talk about Namor? Uh, oh my god, Namor's so badass in this. And the world that he inhabits, the way that's shot. The cinematography in here is top-notch. The film looks better than even Black Panther did because of the underwater sequences. It's it's so varied, it's so vast. The world feels bigger in scope, and it's more, it's better developed. Uh, I love the way that Okoye is used here and her journey they haven't come right out and said that she's getting a Disney Plus show, but they've basically come out and said that she's getting her own Disney Plus show. Uh, Lupita Nyong'o, who, of course, is always aces. I love Nakia's arc and where they leave her. And Letitia Wright, credit words do my feelings on her stances aside politically. She brings it to Shuri here, and you feel her grief, and you feel her anger, and you feel where she just feels like a woman who's just lost in this world that has so much access and yet she just doesn't know how to cope. And there's just, there's so many scenes in this movie, whether it's the initial opening sequence involving Namor and his people when we're introduced to them, whether it's this incredible chase scene where people are trying to hunt down Riri Williams, 
whether it's the initial final fight between Namor and the Black Panther, there's just so many sequences in here that are awe-inspiring. But then there are those those moments for the quiet, for you to really bask in the film and and feel your emotions and, and be okay to cry. This film is perfectly paced. It's one of the best paced comic book films I think that's been made, period. I think the pacing is fucking perfect for this movie. A couple surprises that I actually did not expect. I just, I I have it lower on the list because I don't know when the next time is going to be that I can watch this. I've watched it a few times. It is just such an emotional roller coaster, and it does just make me cry <laughs> whenever I watch it. When I saw it in theaters, I was just bawling. I could not stop. So I, just, I love this movie, but it's going to be a movie I revisit less than the original Black Panther, but... Goddamn, Ryan Cougar, sir. My, my, if I was wearing a hat, it'd be off to you, sir, because you pulled off this incredible feat that you should be truly proud of. So, Black Panther Wakanda Forever. That is my number seven. All right, moving on to my number six. This was a, a movie I watched later. I actually watched it only about a week ago, and I was shocked at how much I adored this movie, and it was just something that I was truly inspired by and something that just made me cry and think it's one of my favorite scores of the year and the way that it talks about family and the dangers of social media and as far as how we think about that when we think about how people like us and view us it's marcel the show with shoes on uh, which is directed by dean uh, uh, uh fletcher camp and i just it's such a simple movie. It's a documentary about the show and Jenny Slate, who just, I, I, I love me some Jenny Slate. I, I'm just such a big fan of hers in general. Um, whether it's, you know, whether it's her in everything, everywhere, all at once, uh, gifted, which if you haven't seen gifted, watch gifted because gifted's really good. But between that and gifted and uh, on the rocks, which she's really great in, or I want you back. She, she, she's a great comedian. I think her stand-up is actually really funny. I thought Stage Fright was really good. And that's before I get to My Blind Brother, which if you have not seen that, you definitely should. She's just a great actress. And the, the humanity that she brings to Marcel was something I really wasn't expecting. And the more the film goes on and the more you learn about Marcel and how they view the world the world it's just one of those things where I just kept sitting back going I can't believe this keeps hitting me in the feels the way it does it's very similar to the first time I saw Paddington and just went this is so charming I I can't understand how this movie keeps pulling all these things off I just I adore this movie and I I can't wait to watch it again and if you have not seen it please watch it it's I, I I don't think it's streaming anywhere but Seriously, watch it. It's it's well, well worth your time, and it's something that everyone needs to watch. And it's something you can watch with your kids, too. I think if you watch this with your kids, it would be make for a very interesting discussion afterwards. So please watch this movie. Check it out. It's great. Marcel, the show with shoes on. That is my number six. Absolutely adore the movie. All right, moving on to my number five. So... I have watched this movie probably start to finish three times, about the same amount of times I've watched Wakanda Forever. It's a movie that makes me cry because I think it's so brilliant. It's one of my favorite scores I've heard in the last five years. It is, and I'm going to take a sip of my beer before I say this. Let me give me a second here. Ah, it's good. It is the best live action Batman performance ever. My number five film is The Batman, directed by that brilliant son of a bitch, Matt Reeves, I love this movie. It makes Gotham feel like the shitty place that Gotham should feel like. Batman feels like a year two Batman in the exact way I wanted him to feel. Robert Pattinson hits this new gear, this very emo Bruce Wayne that works so well for the world that Matt Reeves has established. Paul Dano with another Oscar-worthy performance as the Riddler, a horrifying version of the Riddler. Zoe Kravitz, yes, she's super hot. Oh my God, she's so fine. Oh my God, oh my God. Her version, her take on Selena Kyle is the best live action version of Selena Kyle. All due respect, 
all due respect to Michelle Pfeiffer, but this is the best flushed out Selena. This is the most dangerous feeling Selena. This is the most desperate Selena Kyle. And this is not even her at peak Catwoman prime yet. So I'm so excited to see how she continues to get developed. I love the way they established the criminal, the mob aspects of Gotham here with the, with Falcone, who, I mean, I, I'm not always the biggest fan of his, but, ah, oh, John Turturro. There we go. John Turturro as uh, Carmine Falcone absolutely nails Falcone in the sleazy mobster that he's portrayed as in the Batman universe and in the canon. Andy Serkis, you don't get a ton of scenes of him as Alfred Pennyworth, but I can't wait to see how he's developed more in the sequels. Uh, we don't have to wait long, just a couple years, but he's a great Alfred for the bits we get of him. And another great Colin Farrell performance as Oswald Cobblepot. I can't wait to see how his penguin evolves, especially with the HBO Max show coming up. And then real quick, Jeffrey Wright's Commissioner Gordon. He might be my favorite Commissioner Gordon when it's all said and done. I, I love the back and forth that Pattinson and Wright have in the way that I feel like that Gordon Batman relationship should be established, especially early on. Some of the stunt work is fucking eye popping. It's phenomenal. Whether it's that car chase scene with that Batmobile, that mwah, that new Batmobile kicks so much ass. That chase scene with Penguin, whether it's the initial opening sequence where we see the Riddler's first kill, whether it's the final act where Batman is taking on those people. I just, everything about this movie kicks so much ass and it's three hours long. I don't care. It could be four hours long and I would still go, give me more. Love the Batman. Cannot wait for the Batman part two. Matt Reeves, you're a brilliant son of a bitch. And thank you for giving us, let me say it again, the best Batman film ever made in live action. I still don't like it as much as Mask of the Phantasm or, yeah, I think only Mask of the Phantasm is the only Batman film I might like more. Maybe Revenge of the Joker, but I'd have to kind of rewatch that. But Mask of the Phantasm is still the top tier for me for Batman films, but this is the best live action Batman film that's ever been made. The Batman, my number five. Again, Matt Reeves, you brilliant bastard. All right, moving on to my number four. This is a movie that I think a lot of people have missed. A lot of people haven't checked out. So I'm telling you, you need to rent this movie or buy this movie. You need to watch this movie. I'm telling you right now, it is not a movie that you need to be on your phone on. It's a movie you need to pay full attention to. It's a movie that will truly, I believe, change your worldview and just really make you think about life in general. This is very similar to me in the vein of something like Nine Days. Uh, actually, this would be a great double feature with Nine Days now that I say it out loud. My number four favorite film of 2022, my number four favorite film of the year is After Sun, which is directed by a newcomer, which I was fucking shocked to read that. A newcomer in Charlotte Wells, who is the writer and director on this. And I just gotta say, oh, I think her name is Frankie uh, Corio, uh, who plays Sophie. Yes, that is, uh, she plays the daughter in the movie. She should, she deserved a Best Actress nomination over Ana de Armas. Like, how she got one over this, this girl is fucking criminal. Because Frankie Corio, her performance in here, I, I know I always go back to this example, but when I see Haley, when I saw Haley Seinfeld in True Grit, you realize you saw something special. When you see the kid in the Fablemans, you realize you're seeing something special. When you're seeing the young actors in something like Armageddon Time, you realize you're seeing someone who could really be a major player for years to come. Frankie Corio is special, and I cannot wait to see what that little girl does because the way that she plays off of Paul uh, Mescal, uh, who plays her dad in the movie, uh, who plays Colin, their relationship is so heartbreaking and beautiful. And the way that Wells uses this footage, this mini DV footage, it's so fascinating to think about how we perceive things and how we remember things and how our brain fills in the gaps for things that we don't know. And it's such an incredible message on being a parent and how, you know, sometimes you just need to be just straight up with your kids and the way that us as adults process 
traumatic events and how we process memories and what life is really about and and, in relationships and the movie just has so many poignant moments including this one moment at karaoke that when you consider the song that's being sung is so heartbreaking in the moment and the way this movie ends had me in tears i had to actually (laughs) rewind the last 10 minutes or so just to kind of put the exclamation point on my viewing it, it, this is a movie that I understand that some people are going to be, some people are going to be really bummed watching this. But as I've said on the podcast hundreds of times, just because a movie makes you sad does not take away from its greatness. And this is a great fucking movie. This is a movie everyone, everyone needs to see. I can't wait to see what Charlotte Wells does next. The fact this is her first big debut is insane to me. I can't understand how someone can be this great of a director right out the gate. But yes, Charlotte Wells, whatever you're making next, I am there. Opening day, opening night. I I cannot wait to see what she does next. After Sun is a fucking classic, and it's a movie that cannot be ignored. It is my number four film of the year. So, all right, we are now to the top Three, and this is where I will be the first to admit it's just it just gets hard. It's hard to just you know it's hard to break everything down. You just you don't you don't know. So I'm gonna go ahead and get into my number three favorite film. I can't believe honestly how great this movie is, and the fact that this movie is so pretentious in all the right ways. I, I just, I adore this movie. My number three is Mark Millard's The Menu, which of course stars Ray Fiennes, Anya Taylor-Joy, and Nicholas Holt. I, this movie is so insane to me. And I, the more it went on, the more I just felt like it's a fever dream. And I mean, that's a compliment. I adore this movie. Uh, Ray Fiennes is, he, he's the most sinister he's been. Oh God. Like, I know Voldemort's scary. He's terrifying this shit. And he's not even doing any magic. It's just his performance and the level of respect that he de- that he demands as the chef. It's so fascinating to see this hierarchy in the kitchen. And for those of you who have worked in a restaurant or have worked in a bar or something like that, you know that there is definitely a hierarchy in the way that people portray themselves and the way that sometimes people are just straight up fake. And the way that this movie goes ahead and talks about being fake and about status and about class, it's it's so fascinating in the way that's broken down and the way that Nicholas Holt's Tyler seems like just a fan, like a super fan, admittedly, but a fan of uh of Chef Julian. The way that his relationship breaks down with Mar uh, Anya Taylor Joy's Margot is so cool in just the twists and turns that the movie takes. You're just you're just sitting there on the edge of your seat, going, "What the fuck is happening?" The cinematography is beautiful. The art direction, mwah. do not watch this on an empty stomach. This is <laughs> this is very similar to when I saw Chef, and I just kept thinking, "I don't know, like I don't know if I can, I don't know if I like this, <laughs> like I don't know if I like how good this food looks." Again, the the twists that are given to you as the film goes on. It's just, it's so fucking cool. I, I just, I love this movie. Love it, love it, love it. So that is also streaming on HBO Max. If you have not seen it, you need to. It is just, it's, it's wonderful. It's an absolutely epic movie. So that is my number three film in the menu. So moving on to my number two. This is a character that I love. I cannot believe that we got a sequel to their initial flick about, I want to say it's about 13 years later. I can't believe that we got this, but I'm so happy we got this. It's Joel Crawford who went ahead and directed it, who also directed uh, Crude's New Age and is directing the upcoming uh, Kung Fu Panda 4. My number two favorite film of the year is Puss in Boots, The Last Wish. Nope, I am not bullshitting. Yes, the movie kicks this much ass. I love this movie. Um, Antonio Banderas. Let's talk about him real quick. The fact that Antonio Banderas plays Zorro for two movies, and now has played Puss in Boots in two solo films, and that's before we get to the Shrek movies. It's so crazy to me that he went ahead and spun <laughs> playing Zorro into playing 
a cat version of basically Zoro, and I I think I like him more as Puss in Boots than I do with Zoro, which is insane to me and something I never thought that I would say. One thing about this movie in particular is how it really talks about death, and I saw multiple reviewers saying this is the Logan for kids, and, you know, it, the movie doesn't end with, you know, Puss in Boots' grave from X or anything, but... As far as the seriousness and the gravity of this movie, it really makes you feel that Puss's life is in danger because he's on his last life. And the villains in this movie, whether it's uh, Goldilocks and the Three Bears, whether it's John Mulaney's wonderfully voiced Jack Horner. The fact is, though, the main villain in this movie being the wolf, and I'll just I'll, I'll leave it at that, the way that the wolf is shown and the way that the wolf attacks Puss and the way that Puss really does have a panic attack whenever this wolf is around, it really adds to the gravity and the weight of the seriousness of what's going on. And I got a screener for this. I was very happy to get a screener for this. I watched a screener once with my partner for the first time that I watched it. And then I watched this, God, probably four more times before the screener expired. Like, I love this movie. It takes that Spider-Verse animation style that the fights in this kick so much ass. There's this really cool scene where Puss fights this garden monster. That's the best way I can describe it. But that scene in particular is so fucking awesome, including the last the last big fight that we get in this movie is really well done. There's this dog in the movie that is on the journey with Puss in Boots and Kitty Softpaws. Um, that's voiced by uh, Harvey, uh, say, Glynn is what I'm going to go with. Uh, uh, Perito, that's right. Perito's origin story, first off, is fucking tragic, but it's played as a joke. So it's like a great awkward laugh. But the way that Perito kind of dropped some knowledge on Puss later on in the film, I went, okay, this dog is actually really smart. And Selma Hayek's Kitty Softpaws back again. Her Antonio Banderas just have the best chemistry so it was no shock to see them knock it out of the park here as well but this is a movie that i just i'm sad i didn't see this in 3d I, i'm happy i got to watch this at home but i really kind of was like fuck i should have seen this in in, in imax 3d <laughs> i love this movie this is something i'll be buying on 4k as soon as i can i just i'm so happy this movie exists this is a movie that if you're a kid, you'll love, you will love this movie if you're a kid. But even as an adult watching this, I just went, I, I can't believe this movie is so fucking amazing. And it has a great seriousness to it. It knows exactly what it is. The mid credit is very intriguing, I will say. And yeah, give me more Puss in Boots. This movie, this movie rules. I fucking adore this movie. So Puss in Boots, Last Wish, that is my number two. So. All right, going to go ahead and recap here real quick uh, everything that I've <laughs> that I uh, currently have ranked. So, all right, let's count them back. So, my tied for my number 10 is Pearl and the Fablemans. My number 9 is The Banshees of Inisherin. My number 8 is Everything Everywhere All at Once. Number 7, Black Panther Wakanda Forever. Number 5, Marcel, The Shell of the Shoes On. Or that's my number 6, pardon me. Number 6 is Marcel. The Shell Shoes On. My number five is The Batman. My number four is After Sun. My number three is The Menu. My number two is Puss in Boots The Last Wish. And my number one favorite film of the year, ironically enough, is another sequel. It is written and directed by the brilliant Ryan Johnson. My number one favorite film is Glass Onion, A Knives Out Mystery. My fucking God. Uh, I saw this with my partner in November when it had its one week theatrical release. Seriously, Netflix, what the fuck are you doing? Only giving this a one week theatrical release, you dum-dums. I, this is a perfect mystery for me. There's nothing about this movie I would change. There's nothing about this movie that should be changed. It is perfection start to finish. Let's start at the top. Daniel Craig, Daniel Craig's Benoit Blanc. He is an incredible, incredible detective. I love the fact that he uses his just his skills in the way that he does. It's very articulate. It's very precise. The way he breaks down a certain mystery near the beginning of the film is so fucking well done. The way that they actually work COVID 
into this world is actually really refreshing and it gives it a very gives you that feeling of being in lockdown so you do feel like the walls are closing in as the mystery intensifies janelle monet i know she's been in some you know great stuff like hidden figures and moonlight this really is her coming out party she's incredible in this movie and she's hanging in she's hanging in there with some of the best actors in the game whether that's kate hudson whether that's Catherine Hahn, uh, <laughs> uh, whether that's Dave Bautista, whether that's Edward Norton, everyone in this movie crushes their roles. Uh, Leslie Odom Jr., who I didn't mention, I cannot believe how great this movie is. It genuinely is perfect. Whether it's the cinematography, whether it's the twists that go ahead and present themselves more and more as the film goes along, whether it's where this movie ends up, whether it's the score whether it's the cinematography, whether it's Benoit Blanc's amazing fashion in this movie. His fashion is incredible in this movie. I need every Benoit Blanc outfit that he has. I adore this movie. There's really nothing else about the movie I can say that hasn't been said by pretty much everyone. It's on Netflix right now. You can stream it. If you have not watched this, seriously, pause this, go watch it. Glass Onion, A Knives Out Mystery is my favorite film of 2022. It is a perfect movie. God, I might go watch it now, actually, <laughs> since I'm done. But that's it, y'all. That That is it. That is my best of my favorite films of 2022. What are your favorite films of 2022? Let us know in the comments. You can follow yours truly on the Twitter at jhunterrealpineapple. You can subscribe to the podcast uh, wherever you listen to podcasts, SoundCloud, Apple Google Podcasts, Podbean, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Amazon Music, TuneUp, and Samsung Podcasts, name a few at the Real Pineapple. My linked tree, my, my link tree is on my Twitter and all my socials. So you can follow all of us. Uh, you can follow us everywhere. Uh, like our pages on Facebook at the Real Pineapple and Real Pineapple Games. Follow me on Twitch at twitch.tv slash jhunterrealpineapple. Follow me on TikTok at Black Shazam. You can follow me on Letterboxd at Black Shazam. You can follow me on uh, Instagram at jhunterrealpineapple. And yeah, everyone, thank you so much for your support. It's another year, another, another year for the podcast. I'm excited for 2023. We're going to have reviews up here soon for Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. I have reviews up for Shaft, Malcolm X, uh, Watchmen, the HBO series, uh, Hawk for Jesus, Save Your Soul, uh, The Inspection. All those will be for the Black Cinema Showcase. I can't wait to get those up for y'all. But everyone, thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for your support. Stay safe out there. Take care of each other. Oh, and uh, the worst of 2022 will be up. Uh, will be up by the time you listen to this. But thanks again, everyone. Stay safe out there. We'll talk to you soon.